You mark it down big and plain and clear in your mind. These men have a God-given authority. But please understand, just because they have authority from God does not mean that God endorses everything that they do or say or would seek to implement. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are spending the next few weeks presenting a series of special messages before we begin a new study in one particular book of the Bible. At the beginning of 2021, our nation suffered a great tragedy as protesters stormed the nation's capital and attempted to take over Congress. This was partially in response to a sense that some had that the presidential election had not been fairly managed and that the results had somehow been adjusted illegally. As we begin a message entitled, God and Government, today Dr. Brogy looks at what the Bible has to say about the role of government in society and how Christians are to act within this context, even when government may not be godly. One of the concerns I've had with the recent violence in our nation's capital, reprehensible violence, a very sad day in America, But one of the concerns I've had is to watch, especially one of the news networks, focus in on the Christian imagery, the signs, the hats, the t-shirts that had Bible verses and other things on them, who were at the large rally, very peaceful rally, but somehow locking those people into the violence that followed. And I don't know how many true Christians actually were rebellious enough in heart to do that, but I do know that many times things that have been done in the name of Christianity have not been done by true Christians. And let me just say while we're here, I love America. I love America with its many flaws. America has always been a great nation by the grace of God, great enough to get us through some of our shameful past and to reject some of our sins that have been laid in the dust But I know this nation is not perfect. There's no perfect nation any more than there's any perfect church. Wherever you have sinners, you have problems. With that said, we as Christians ought to be very grateful that God would allow us to be American citizens. People are still banging on the doors to get in. You can say what you want about it, but this is the most sought-after nation in the world. But times are changing. Sin is growing. And as Christians, we need to understand our relationship to the government. Our ultimate identity is not patriotism to the U.S. It's an allegiance to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's our ultimate identity. He said, upon this rock, I will build this church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He made no such promise to any nation. And as a biblical Christian, we need a biblical worldview. Yes, I want us to understand how we properly express our patriotism. Because while we are citizens of heaven, we are citizens of this earth. But understand a day is coming when every single nation, every single government of this world will crumble under the lordship of Christ. 
And so let's keep first things first. And so this morning, I want us to understand God and government. What is our responsibility to the government? I hope you have found First Peter chapter 2 by now. I want to begin by reading this passage. We're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture, but this will be our launching pad. First Peter chapter 2, beginning now in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors is sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, I'm hoping today that we will build a basic theology on what the Scripture says about government. You may have a theology on government that may be accurate. It might be totally inaccurate. Everyone has a theology. Theos means God. Gos from the Greek word, it means an understanding of God. Even the atheist has a theology. His theology is there's no God. The agnostic says he doesn't know. Everyone has a theology in every realm, whether it's salvation, Christology, the spirit, pneumatology, or government. And we want to make sure we have a biblical theology of government. And so if you're using your note-taking outline, and for those of us joining us online, there's a place there for you to print it out. If you're not sure, ask, and they'll show you how to do it, the people who are monitoring the websites. And let me just say, whatever nation of the world you're in, last Sunday, five different countries were monitoring our services in 30-some states. People from all over the world will sometimes tune in. But wherever you are, if you're a Christian, these principles apply not just to the American church. These are for all Christians everywhere. And there are four key perspectives that I want to underscore in your thinking this morning. First, I want us to think about God's, that that God calls us to submit to the government. God calls us to submit to the government. Let me zoom in on verses 13 and 14 again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. You say, well, surely it was easy to be in subjection back in those days where they had all those wonderful benevolent kings, but today times are different. Of course, if you know the scripture and you know the biblical backdrop for the first century church, it was not an easy day in which to live. And when Peter writes this portion of scripture, Caesar Nero is in charge. Let me read from a first century historian who well summarizes this man's life. He says of Nero, he was just three years old when his father died. It was little loss to the boy, for his father had been a killer, a bully, and a cheat. His mother took over the family trade and continued the boy's education. She murdered his stepfather with a dish of poisoned mushrooms. He was reared in squalor and proved a notable son to his parents. While still young, he committed his first murder, killing a teenaged boy who stood in his way and watched him die with callous indifference. He married at 15, but soon had his wife killed. He married again and slew his second wife, too. In order to marry a third time, he murdered the husband of the woman he wanted. His mother annoyed him, so he arranged her murder. The age of 31, Nero was sentenced to death by flogging. 
He fled to a dingy basement and in the house of a slave sought to cut his own throat. He survived and eventually ascended to the throne as one of Rome's Caesars. This is the man who is in charge when the infant church is launched. Now, please understand, it's in this atmosphere that the Apostle Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The Apostle Paul expressed it this way in Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, the word for subjection was a first century military term to describe someone who falls under the rank of a superior. The word refers to our relationship to the government. Just as someone would submit to a superior officer, God has called Christians to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Bottom line, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. We are to obey the laws of the land. We're not to evade our taxes. We must follow the building codes. We're to maintain the speed limit. I know the last part of the human body to get converted is the right foot, but God calls us, yes, even to obey the speed limits. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why should I, Paul? He tells me. For there is no authority except from God, and those which are, exist are established by God. You say, well, what about wicked governments and vile kings? Are they established by God as well? Well, he couldn't have said it more plainly. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. For instance, did you know the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled over Babylon, received his authority from God Almighty? You might want to put some verses out in the margin next to 1 Peter 2.13. Jot down Daniel 2.37 and 38. God said to Nebuchadnezzar by his prophet Daniel, You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. He was the king of kings in that day. That is, he was basically what we would call the president of the world. And in Daniel 2, the prophet Daniel had just prayed, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he, God, who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God is the one who gives presidents and kings their authority. You say, wait a minute, I thought we voted for our president. No, God is the one who gives that authority, whatever means he allows, whatever process he uses to pull that off. Christ taught us that all government authority comes from the Lord God himself. And so if you're worried that somehow the governments of this world will get away with what they are doing, Think twice, because there's accountability to God. And Jesus reminds us of that and that classic encounter between two kings. Pontius Pilate is the one, of course, in six trials that Christ experienced. One of the trials before Pilate, he had a few trials before Pilate. But one of the trials where he is accused of treason because his accuser said he made himself out to be a king, when the Lord Jesus is judged by Pilate, do you remember what Pilate said? Let me read it to you. It's from John 19, 9 and 10. Pilate asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you. Now listen to the incredible response that Jesus gives. And the words that follow, I know, have been an encouragement, especially to the persecuted church for the last 2,000-some years. Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it has been given you from above. And by the way, that word for authority, exousia, is the exact same word that Paul uses in Romans 13 and verse 1. In other words, Pilate, the power you have to rule, even the power you have to deliver me over to crucifixion, is a delegated authority. It did not originate with you. Now, Pilate thought it derived, that his power derived from Caesar. But both Pilate's authority and Caesar's authority ultimately derived from God. Pilate had received his authority, Jesus says here, from above. That's why Paul can say no authority is given except from God, and those which exist are established by God. He is clear that Pilate's unjust, illegal abuse of authority makes him accountable to God because his authority came from God. And so God wants him to know his authority is from above, and so he adds these words. Don't miss them. For this reason, the, he who delivered me up to you has a greater sin. Question, who delivered Jesus up to Pilate? It was not Judas, for Judas had delivered him up to the Jews. It was Caiaphas who was over the Sanhedrin. It was Caiaphas who first said that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. And it was Caiaphas who had the Lord Jesus led to Pilate and said that he deserved to die. It was Caiaphas who delivered him up. Now, Jesus said Caiaphas had the greater sin. That does not mean that Pilate had no accountability. To have greater sin meant that someone else had lesser sin. But the office that Caiaphas carried had a higher, greater authority than the office that Pilate had. It's one thing to hold an office of influence over the temporal decisions of this world. It's quite another thing to have an office that can sway for good or bad the eternal souls of men. To be over the souls of men is a high and holy calling. And so as we come to James chapter 3 in a month or two, we will learn that, indeed, those who seek the office of teacher or pastor should thoughtfully consider that call because those people will receive a stricter judgment. And that's the problem in our day. You had a high priest in his day who was corrupt. He was worldly-minded. He was spiritually insensitive to the things of God. He was a man-seeker, a man-pleaser. He only thought about Caiaphas. And that's the problem today. We have men filling the pulpits across America who, like Caiaphas, are not called of God. And so they give their cute little seeker-sensitive, feel-good, tickle-me-ear, tickle-my-ear sermons because God's never called them. When God calls a man, he is willing to preach the whole counsel of Scripture. God puts a fire in his bones, as Jeremiah the prophet said, to speak the truth. Listen, if Pilate's abuse of this office was great, if Pilate one day would be called to face God face to face for his misuse of authority, how much more those like Caiaphas, how much more those who are delegated spiritual authority? 
But this is an illustration that I want you to see that authority, governmental, spiritual, whatever its expression, it ultimately comes from God. King Nebuchadnezzar, the pharaohs of Egypt, Governor Pilate, as wicked as these men were, received their authority from God. So you mark it down big and plain and clear in your mind. These men have a God-given authority. But please understand, just because they have authority from God does not mean that God endorses everything that they do or say or would seek to implement. Think about the various institutions that God has uniquely raised up. God established government in the book of Genesis. God established the family, and God established the church. Think about the home for a moment. God has given fathers a God-ordained authority. He's called the head of the home. Now, I know that makes some people bristle in our day, but with no head, it's dead. With two heads, you have a monster. And where are children to learn submission and the smallest microcosm of life where he sees modeled between a husband and a wife authority loving authority and submission. But suppose, for instance, a father, a husband, abuses his wife. She's not to sit under some husband beater. Suppose the children are being abused by the dad. Such authority needs to be held accountable. God has given pastors authority, but if a pastor fails morally or ethically, he should be removed from that authority. And so here with civil government, Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, will both point out that these people have authority that they can use for either good or for evil. And so when there's a failure of authority, whether it's Stalinist Russia or Hitler's Germany, God doesn't endorse that, but sometimes God uses even the wrath of men to praise himself, to accomplish his own purposes, And sometimes God gives a people the leaders that they deserve. Nero's government had many moral inconsistencies. And if you know Nero, when the persecution breaks out in full expression in just a few years after 1 Peter is written, he's cleaning up Rome, doing a total rebuild. He's trying to figure out, what am I going to do with these slums? They disgusted him, so he had them burned. Well, he had a revolt on his hands. And so in order to basically cover over his own wickedness, he blamed it on these Christians. You know, these folks who want to call fire out of heaven, they are the ones who are responsible and to baptize his wicked sin and to blame it on the Christians. He literally, as history records, had these human believers dipped in oil and they became human torches in his gardens. And it's under that kind of atmosphere that Peter says here in verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do what is right. By the way, the apostle Paul gave the same expression of what government is to do in Romans 13. Listen to these two verses, Romans 13, 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, the government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. 
Now, do you see that word sword? It's a very important word. It's the Greek word makarion. It doesn't refer to a slap on the wrist. Rather, it is a symbol of death. It's used that way literally in both sides of the Bible. Take, for instance, 2 Samuel 11. There the sword is used as a symbol of death. Do you remember that occasion when Uriah was murdered by the arrows uh, that day by the archers because David had plotted a wicked thing in which to put Uriah on the front lines with some of his key men, and Uriah and some of his men lost their lives by the arrows, by the archers' arrows. But when Nathan comes and confronts David's murder, he says that, You brought him down by the sword. Why? Because the word sword, and it's the word makarios in the Septuagint, the Greek translation was simply a symbol and emblem of the authority that God gave to take a life. And you can see many examples of that that are plain in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans 8.35, where the Apostle Paul is describing God's love that is eternally set upon us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Again, the same word makarion referring to an instrument of death. In Acts 12, in verse 2, if you remember, Herod Antipas had James, the brother of John, put to death. How? By a sword. Same Greek word. It was a well-established fact in the first century that the sword was a symbol for punishment, for capital punishment, for death. And so Paul simply asks, if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is the minister of God. He's reminding Christians that just because you are saved, you are not above the law, you are not above wrongdoing. God gives the government authority to punishment. Now, the government may be represented by the police officer who has to pull his trigger on someone to protect the citizens that he is responsible for. Or it might be the person who has to pull the switch in the electric chair of a convicted murderer. My son Jameson up there tells me the electric chair in South Carolina is broken. Hmm. And of course, uh, sadly, these drug companies won't give the lethal drugs that are needed to execute some prisoners. And yet we have a man who is on death row because he entered into a church on a Wednesday night and murdered the pastor and eight other members. He is sentenced to be executed. But it hasn't happened. And so the death might take place through someone who pulls the switch or pushes the plunger or someone who's defending our nation by firing off a cannon or dropping a bomb from an aircraft, or discharging his M27 rifle. The government is given the sword as an instrument of death. Why? To avenge evil. The government is called to restrain evil. Jot down Genesis 9 in verse 6. Genesis 9, 6. God said there by Moses' pen, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. The taking of a human life in murder is such a heinous offense 
because God has made us in his image. God says that the person who does it deserves the forfeiture, forfeiture of his life. Listen to what Moses wrote in Exodus 21 and verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. And if you've read the context of that verse, he's not talking about accidental death or manslaughter but cold-blooded, premeditated murder. And let me just add, the Bible teaches that when justice is administered, it is to be administered swiftly. The government loses its punch in exercising capital punishment if there's a large period of time between the crime and the punishment that the crime brings. And so Solomon wisely wrote in Exodus 11 by the Spirit of God, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. The average stay on death row in America is 14 years. Now, I believe in our judicial process, but if, unless somehow the process is sped up, capital punishment means very little. Some of them may say, well, capital punishment is cruel and it's unloving. No, it's not cruel. Coddling the criminal is cruel. Pacifying the murderer is cruel. Slapping the wrist is cruel. God has called government to protect the community. And when capital punishment is exercised biblically, where there is clear evidence, and the scripture demands at least two or three witnesses, and without the punishment being delayed, it is effective. It was fairly and swiftly applied in England until 1965. And the first time I went to England in 1977, even then the police were not carrying guns. They just carried a bobby stick. Why? Because capital punishment was a great deterrent to murder. But since it has been lifted, the murder rate has gone up in the United Kingdom some 7,000%, and the police officers wear the same kind of weapons ours wear in this nation. Capital punishment is God's way to protect life. Listen, when you steal, when you take something from me, I can be paid back. But when you take my life, you cannot pay it back, and therefore God has ordered the fullest possible consequence. Still others who oppose capital punishment will be quick to quote verses out of their context. A popular verse that's used is Romans 12 and verse 19. You can turn there if you wish or just listen to it. He's quoting the book of Proverbs, but notice what he says. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, God says there should be, does not say there should be no revenge, because God says there is to be revenge. But underscoring your thinking, I will, I will, I will repay. Never get in your mind that all revenge is wrong, because it is not. We learn, however, in Romans chapter 12, that you have no right personally to take revenge that God has given to the government. If people take the law into their own hands, you have anarchy in a society. But it is not wrong when God, through the minister that he has ordained, the government takes revenge. The government is God's minister. He is God's instrument in which to exercise this punishment. So understand that this verse 
in its context in Romans 12 is not an exhortation as to what the government is to do. In the context, he's dealing with the relationships that we are to have with one another in the church and in the society at large. Capital punishment is God's way to protect life. It is biblical, and the Bible gives governments the right to exercise it. When we continue our study entitled God and Government, we'll look at the individual's right to protect one's personal property and life. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help continue the teaching of STS, call us at 877-787-7478 or click the Give button on our Search the Scriptures app or online at searchthescriptures.org. Thank you. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our look at God and government. Join us then as we search the scriptures.